Hey, well, thank you very much, Kevin. Um, my words are going to be quick and brief this morning because my job this morning is to introduce to you a friend of mine uh, who I'm honored to introduce to you. Um, maybe a decade ago or so, something like that, Adam, we first met. Um, so Adam Nagel, you're welcome to come on up, Adam. Um, Adam Nagel uh, and I met uh, back at Yoder's Restaurant at some point in the, the past history. And most recently, Adam has been pastor at Bethany Grace Fellowship, is now in a ministry transition, and has really become um, a good friend to me over the years, especially in the last several months of reconnecting. I have really enjoyed um, you, Adam, and your heart. Here's a man who uh, you're not going to wonder what he's feeling or thinking, and with compassion and care and grace, he will work that through his life into yours. And so it, it's an honor to have Adam joining us this morning, and I'm really glad, selfishly, that you have a chance to be here, Adam. Cool. So I'm really looking forward uh, to he hearing from you. Uh, Adam has brought his family here, um, wife Tanya, and four kids. I forget all the names, I'm sorry, but I know one is Luke because I have a Luke. So Luke, <laughs> there you go, and Ava has some hot chocolate, which is awesome, but guys, we're all glad to have you here as well. Uh, so Adam, we're really glad to have you uh, Thank here you. and grateful for it. Thank you. Um, can I, I pray for you, my friend? Absolutely. For good God and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Adam and the work that you have done in his life and in his family. We pray that in the moments that he shares with us now that you would both encourage, strengthen, and renew us and that you would uh, use Adam in this space really to, um, to both bring glory to you and, uh, and, and uh, some insights for us on how we can see who you are and how to love and serve one another through all the things that we go through. Thank you for the time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Tim. Yep. Well, Good morning. Uh, Tim, I just want to say thank you for your friendship. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about myself in a minute, but I'm in a tough season right now. And Tim, your friendship, stepping in, believing in me, walking with me, thank you for that. Thank you to this church, um, your reputation in the community, uh, walking with the Together Initiative and the, the heart to step into the community, be in the marketplace, be in the town square, uh, get into your school district. Uh, with even with a, I love, I love. I got to read about you guys in the paper for two years ago um, when they profiled the position that you guys opened up there at Peckway Valley. So thank you so much. Um, thanks, Tim. Thanks for your leadership. Um, my prayer for since Tim invited me to come in and share with you guys, my prayer has been for you as a church. I got up this morning early, our dog was barking, we have got a dog for Christmas, so we're new to this dog thing, and the dog decided to get me up early, get my wife up first, and then she nudged me, and I got up um, after she had already been up early, and so I was up good and early this morning, and I spent some time praying for you. My desire and my prayer for you is that you're truly encouraged, uh, no matter where you're at in your journey, whether you're here this morning and you're here because you're here because you were made to be here, uh, maybe a mom or a dad drug you along or husband or wife, or you're here because you're skeptical and you're seeking and something's going on, uh, you're here because you're hurting and you're looking for hope, or maybe you're here and things are phenomenal and you're loving life with God, uh, my prayer is that you find uh, Him real. You're able to connect with Him in a special way and take another step in His direction. Um, to kind of get us moving, let me share a little about myself. I think it's important for as I, any place I talk for people to know a little bit about who they're hearing from. So I'll kind of introduce myself to you, go back to my early years. I grew up in Lancaster County, up in the northern area, up in Lidditz, Warwick Township. Um, was a Warwick warrior, for those of you down here. We didn't get this way much to play this direction, but it's what I was. Played football there. I, as early as I can remember, this thing that we're doing this morning was a part of my life. 
church. Every time the doors were open, I was there. My grandfather was a founding member of a brand new church in Lidditz that grew to be a uh, predominant, uh, prominent church there in the area, 1,500 or so size, Christian school associated with that um, church. And so I went to that Christian school, Christian private school. I went to the church. So every time the doors were open, I was there. Now, growing as, as, a, as a young boy, I didn't really dislike it, but I wouldn't say I loved it. Uh, I hit my junior high years, and I began to, that shifted, and I didn't like it at all. The thing that I didn't like was it didn't bring me life. Tim, in his intro to me, talked about passion. You, you spend some time, you're going to know where I'm at. I'm a, I'm a wear my heart in the, um, on my sleeve kind of guy. I'm passionate, I'm full of energy, and I want to experience life. It's as early as I can remember, I wanted to live life. And as a young boy, and grown in my junior high years, I didn't find a place like this to be life-giving. All I knew of Christianity was rules and things I couldn't do and regulations. Um, matter of fact, I got in trouble. Remember, this will date me a little bit. Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. Any of you guys? Yeah, <laughs> the, I didn't have the pants. <laughs> but I had a cassette tape in that private school. Cassette tapes. Remember them? Those things that had that ribbon that you could, yeah. That, I had a cassette tape and a Walkman. And I got caught from the Bible teacher with it in my book bag and confiscated. And so that's all I knew of Christianity, of the things that I couldn't have and the things that I wanted that really made me feel alive. So I get into um, high school. I went to a public school, left that private school, went to a public school. And I thought, okay, well, Christianity didn't give me life, so I'm going to go try this over here, and I'm going to find life apart from Christianity. So I really went, and I kind of label that age of my life um, living for me. I thought, well, I'm going to go do the things that I've always wanted to do. I come to the end of that. A lot of mistakes, doing things that I regret, things that have left scars and pain. And I come to the end of that and I think, man, I am just as empty, if not more so, than what I had here. 18 years old, graduate of high school, not knowing what to do. All my dreams have kind of crumbled of being a big-time football player at Penn State. Everything's kind of fallen around me. So I think, well, the Christian thing didn't work. This thing didn't work. What are my options? Coming home from work one night, I was working at Crystal Springwater. Driving home from work, I thought, you know what my option is? The option end my life. Made an attempt on that evening. Um, so thankful it didn't go through. And I cannot praise God enough. Those of you who may have struggled with suicide or depression know that when you really want to do it, you do it. I didn't really want to do it. I was just scared. I wanted to live, and I, didn't, I wasn't finding the answers. I go home that night and ask for help. Begged my parents. I said, Mom and Dad, I didn't tell them what I tried to do. I just said, I need help. They directed me in some positive directions. They directed me towards some old friends that I reconnected with. Ultimately, fast forward the story, end up at a Bible school in upstate New York. Crazy situation. So all they do is teach the Bible at this school. So I begin to engage this thing called the Bible for the very first time in a, in a way that was real and authentic, in a way that I was trying to figure it out for myself and trying to connect. I ran across a verse in 1 John. It's a book towards the back end of our Bible written by a guy who was Jesus' closest friend. I mean, he, this guy, John, was, speaks of himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. This guy was the guy that when Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and getting to pass, and he looks down at the, his friend John and says, sees Mary, his mother there, and says, John, this is now your, your mom. Please take care of her. This was a tight, close relationship. You get to the end of this letter that he's writing, and he says this, this is love for God. 
Now, here I am in Bible school. Here I am trying to, my life is still kind of un, un, unequal. I'm trying to figure out how do I really find life. Think, okay, well, i got to love God. Here, this is love for God. It says in 1 John chapter 5, this is love for God. Some of you that know the Bible, well, maybe you can repeat this. This is love for God to obey his commands. Now, by this point in my journey, I'm like, I believe this is the authority of life. I believe this is the written word of God. And I read this, and I'm thinking, okay, I can buy into that. Loving God means to obey his commands. But the next sentence, the next phrase jarred me. And his commands are not burdensome. I stopped that in my tracks. I'm like, that is not true. I, what, what? Not burdensome? Some of you are here this morning, and it's a real burden. Like, I don't want to just get up on a nice, it was gorgeous yesterday. I want to sleep in today. I don't want to gather with people that love God. Reading scriptures, giving money, serving the poor, caring for others, loving one another, carrying one another's burden. Burden is in the word. Burden. It's a burden. So I engage this, and I think, well, no, wait a minute. This, okay, so either this is wrong, but I'm like, well, that can't be, because I really trust that this is the Word of God. So I wrestle, and the next sentence is what changed my, the trajectory of my life. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith in Jesus Christ. What unlocked for me, what gave me such, what connected the life that I always yearned for was I always knew at age five, I prayed a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior. The reason I did it was because we were at church that night and watched this scary, freaky movie of the end times back in the 80s. And I don't remember what it was called, I don't remember what it was, but I remember driving home saying to my dad, dad, I don't want to go to hell. How do I avoid that? So he kneels with me on his, that night in his bed, and I remember it vividly. I remember the soft cream blanket that my hands pushed down into. I could, we had a wood-burning stove, and I could smell this. It kind of the, the, the pipe came up through my parents' room. I, it's so vivid to me in memories. But what I was doing that night is I was praying a, praying a prayer of faith in this person of Jesus Christ, admitting my sins to avoid a place called hell and to get into a place called heaven. I was starting my Christian life. So I had this idea that you start by faith. That's how you get in. You don't need to work. You don't need to earn it. You get in by faith. And then I had this idea that now I'm in. If I'm going to grow and I'm going to be a good Christian, I now have to obey. And what I missed is I continue in the Christian life by faith in the same way that I got in. And that's how it's not a burden. And that journey, it's been messy over the years, and it's been hard, but that's where it's led me. What I want to do with us here this morning is John chapter 10, verse 10, has become my theme verse. Jesus is speaking. He's talking to his disciples. He's describing himself. It's the sheep, the shepherd, shepherd imagery. He says, I'm the ultimate shepherd, and I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And He's this beautiful imagery, and he says, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come to give life and life eternal, or eternal life and life to the full, depending on what translation you're reading, John 10.10. I have come to give life and life to the full. That's what I craved as a young person. And as I've lived life and I've walked with other people, I'm going to take a stab in the dark that 90% of you in this room crave that life to the full. 
You want to live. You want to feel life inside of you. Yet for whatever reason, as it was for me, and it still is some days, it becomes incredibly elusive. How do I have life to the full? What does that really look like? And I find that many of us don't have this choice of death and life. What many of us begin to shift into is we have this choice of existence or life. And I I don't know if you're like me, if you relate to this at all, a lot of times my daily life becomes daily existence. And I wouldn't get out of bed every day and say, man, I feel alive today. I am full. I am life to the full. So what I want to do is walk with us this morning and say, well, how do we get that life to the full? Because I think we all want it. Let me ask you this question. What is it? Life to the full. Let's start there, if you allow me. Take a moment, just in your own heart and mind right now. Maybe even jot it down there in your, um, I think you had a bulletin when you came in. When you hear life to the full, what imagery comes to your mind? If you ever hear a pastor say, I want to give you, we need to have life and life to the full, what imagery hits your mind? What, what kind of thoughts, what things do you want? How would you describe that kind of life? What would that life look like if you woke up tomorrow and the, what would be the first thing you'd recognize? Bang, my life is different and it's life to the full. Some of you say, well, you know what it would be? I wouldn't be struggling with this addiction. I wouldn't have this trauma and the the effects of the abuse that I've gone through. Some of you say, you know what? I would have an amazing, amazing husband. Not this whatever he is. My wife, whew, she would be. Some of you think, well, my kids, I would have kids. And they would be good kids. Some of you think, well, you know what? We would have wealth, and I wouldn't have this anxiety of how to provide and how to pay the bills, and and things would work out for us. Some of you think, well, I would have them back. They wouldn't have left so soon. I wouldn't have lost them. Life would be whole and complete. I would have wealth, and I wouldn't be battling this illness or this disease or this disability. Some of you may think of friends that you would have and you wouldn't feel alone. Or some of you think of traveling and cruises and vacations and Europe and mountains and beaches. Some of you thinking living a transcendent life that is bigger than you and, and, and more than you and it's going to last beyond your lifetime, being a part of something like that. But ultimately, when we think of life to the full, at some level we think of success. But let me ask you a question. How about Loss. I'm going to venture a guess that as you think about life to the full, very few of you jotted in your, down in that paper, caught in your mind. You know what I think about when I think of life to the full? I think of death, of failure. I think of losing a job at 42 years old, of a church that I pastored for nine years. That's what I think of. That's life to the full. Yes. We don't think about that. Matter of fact, most of us would say, well, Adam... On John 10.10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So that loss, that death, that heartache is not Jesus' will and his desire. That's the thief and the enemy. I say, true. Amen. I couldn't agree more. I think far too often God gets credit for Satan's work with statements like, God is in control. Oh, he is. He's not surprised. But it doesn't mean he ordained the abuse that you have been through, the death that you experienced, the loss He's not surprised. He will work it to his ends. But there is a live, very real enemy of your soul seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But the reality is, still, you experience loss. And I believe, if you allow me, if you open up with me to Isaiah chapter 40, I think to have life to the full, we've got to step into the tension of all that we think that we need to have life to the full and this thing called loss and failure. What do we do with grieving and heartache and brokenness? How do we wrestle with that? Can it possibly be part of God's plan for me to go through that? Is that really life to the full? How does that work? And, and I think one of there's, there's so many ways of life to the full and so many answers, and I could preach messages on this. This is one that I don't think we will step into enough. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 40. This came to me. I'm in the middle of grieving right now. A um, lot of heartache. And this came to me. A friend, actually it's a mutual friend of Tim's and I, um, sat down with me about two years ago. And I was wrestling with some stuff, and, and he says to me, Adam, as I listen to you, do you know how to grieve? Now, I'm sitting there thinking, do I know how to grieve? I cry all the time. I'm a crier. I know how to grieve. I cry with the best of them. I mean, I watch America's Got Talent with my kids, and I cry. I can watch a football game, and I can cry. I mean, I'm like, on Tuesday nights, this is us. I am crying. I mean, it is like, turn, and I, I'm like, I feel things. I, I, I feel, I've battled depression through much of my life. I attempted suicide. Well, yes, I, I, I know sadness and grief. And he says, but do you know how to grieve? I'm like, well, okay. If you're asking, it probably means you think I don't. So please share with me what I'm missing. He handed me a small book by an Episcopalian priest, of all things, different than the faith trajectory I've grown up in, by the name of John Claypool, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, a little tiny book. All it is is tracks four of his sermons, and if you've ever been to the Episcopal Church, you know their sermons are like six minutes long. It's a short, tiny little thing, but it tracks his journey of his 10-year-old daughter's battle with leukemia that she ultimately loses. It's over a two-year period that he writes this and journeys this. And I pick this book. So a lot of what I want to share with you is, is, has been deeply ingrained in my heart and life, and I'm, I'm still working and applying it, but it really I want to give credit to that friend who handed me the book uh, and John Claypool's work. And one of the things, the passage of it was Isaiah chapter 40. If you're there, um, if, if you don't have a Bible, grab that one there in the seat in front of you. Isaiah is roughly in the middle um, of your Bible. Isaiah is a prophet. A prophet is a guy who comes and speaks for God. A lot of times they had harsh messages for this nation of Israel. Isaiah's living at a time when, when the nation of Israel split in two and, and the northern kingdom's been all but destroyed. The southern kingdom's still kind of there and, and existing under King Hezekiah is his name. They're, they're in this hugely prosperous time because Hezekiah is spoken of as a king that, that honors God at some level. He was one of the better kings. And so I, the, these prophets always are coming along saying, guys, listen, they're always sounding a warning. Guys, listen, love God with all your heart, or bad stuff is coming. That's, that's almost, any, any, if you ever wonder, what are these prophets? That's pretty much their message. Now, that's that's kind of sums them up. So Isaiah's here, and he's preaching his time, and he, and he gets to this Isaiah 40. Now, this verse, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I'm going to take a stab in the dark. You have probably seen this verse. Maybe it's in your friend's house on a, on a nice painting on their wall or your friend's Instagram feed or on Facebook or a mug or you've probably seen this verse. Verse 30, 
Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. Now here comes the verse. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. How many of you have heard that verse before? Right? You're like, oh boy, I've heard this before. Look at that, look what that verse says. Look at the hope that is in that verse. And I'm going to take a stab in the dark that the majority of you in this room, when you look at that verse, you focus on an animal, a bird. I had one of these birds, this was a May, this past week, I knew, I put this message together at the beginning of the week, in the middle of the week, I'm out landscaping in my backyard, I'm unemployed, so I've got all these projects I'm tackling, I have a lot of fun, I'm in the backyard, and I, there's this field in the back of our house, and I look up, and I'm like, what is that? And it, it's this, this thing coming flapping, and its wings are, I'm like, what in the world? And I love, I'm like, that's not a buzzard, that's not a hawk. Is that a crane? Like, you know, I'm thinking this, the wingspan in this thing was massive. Well, as it gets closer to the earth, it's coming in towards me. There's a tree line between us. It's coming in towards the tree line, and it starts to flap. And I'm thinking, that's a bald eagle. It was majestic. It was huge. It was un... It, it took my... And I immediately thought of this passage. And I watched it kind of swoop in. It circled the ground real slow. And then it lifted itself back up over the field. I just stood there with my jaw. I'm like, I've never seen an eagle up that close, ever, except in a zoo or a place like that. This thing soars off. When we look at this verse, we think of the eagle. And we think, those that hope in the Lord will mount up on wings like eagle, and you're going to soar and you're going to fly. But is that all the verse says? Look what else the verse, this is one of the greatest hindrances I've found to, to embracing loss and grieving well, which ultimately leads to life to the full. Look at what else it says. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will soar in wings like eagles. We love this in the American mindset, up and to the right, the chart is moving up and to the right, we're going to have success, we're going to soar, we're going to be in the mountaintop. Well, look what else it says, they will run and not grow weary. Both of these things can't happen at the same time. Can you run at the same time you're on an eagle? No. Look at the next one. They will walk and not what? Faint. When I first engaged this, I thought, you know what? God, today, well, now when I first embrace this, I'm not sure I can put one foot in front of the next. There is just as much faith and just as much spirit-empowered, God-living success in just getting one foot in front of the next and not passing out as there is of the person who's on the eagle soaring over the mountains. See, one of the greatest hindrance I've found to us in stepping into grief well is our expectations that life is always soaring and the mountaintop and up and to the right and having this wonderful, magnificent life. Well, you may have those days, and I hope you praise God for them. The Puritans had this phrase uh, called muddling. Muddling is this silly little phrase, but basically it means muddling, just getting through holding on for one more day. It's okay not to be okay. 
And there is just as much faith and just as much miraculous work of God in that for some of you who are in those moments where you're like, you know what? Life is awful. I'm not on the eagle, and I don't need to be. Because God is with me here as I just take one more step. They give you some help in taking that step. I think one of the greatest things you can do to take that step is express your honest heart to God. You know, I hear so often as in hard times, I hear things like maybe you've heard this. Just let go and what finish some of you know finish this phrase, let go and let, right? You've heard that? That's not all bad. Some of you hear, not my will, but yours be done. And we come into the Easter season, we think, well, Jesus prayed that in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. Think about that. And we think about that moment when he grieved and when he was wrestling. We, we think about, you know what? Unquestioning resignation to, to let's just step in and submit to God's plan for my life. Without ever wrestling. And what I've found is that's not the God I worship. He's not asking for that. He's saying sometimes it's just getting one foot in front of the next, and sometimes it's wrestling deeply. See, what I've found with silent submission, I picture, picture an oak tree in the winter. A lot of times oak trees, they still hold those leaves, those last few leaves laid. And picture a strong wind blowing, that brown leaf is still holding. The wind is blowing. The force of that wind ultimately overcomes that, that little piece of stem that's hanging on, and that tree finally gives up, and it goes. I think sometimes we think, well, that's the Christian life. Silent submission. But here's my struggle with that. Oftentimes, that's just a mechanical power transaction. And God involves far more than brute force. God is a God of love. And what I have found is there is more faith in the act of questioning God than in silent submission. John Claypool says this in his book when his little girl passed away. He said, what I hold on to, I fall, here's this quote, I fall back on the notion that God has a lot to give an account for. If you go to your scriptures, write them down, look at them this week. Psalm 88 is the first one I'd point you to. Psalm 77 would be another. Psalm 42, another. When you go to the Psalms, so we had a music, was his name Ben up here? Ben, thank you. I don't know where Ben is. Where's Ben? Ben, thank you. I love music. Love music. It's a phenomenal gift. Uh, Music, in the middle of our Bible, we have a hymnal, is what I like to call it. It's the nation of Israel. It's their songs that they would have sung when they came to a place like this as a congregation. It's called the Psalms. When you read these Psalms, they're, 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 they're poetry. They speak the human heart. They don't just talk intellect. That's what's so beautiful about music. It connects in a way the spoken word does not. And these psalms, when you get to one like Psalm 8, and you keep in mind that it's a public worship song, I have never in my life heard or been in a church that sings a song like Psalm 88, ever. Beginning to end, there isn't one hopeful statement in the entire thing The psalmist actually accuses God of abandoning him. You have abandoned me. You've cut off the heavens. You've left me alone. And you think, oh, well, he sews it up at the end. He doesn't. It's a cliffhanger. It just comes to the end and drops off. 
I said, what is that? That's a public worship song? I think if Ben would come up and sing that song next week, most of you would send Ben some nasty emails and say, that song doesn't belong in church. Tim would probably have a busy schedule of meeting with people after hearing a song like that song. There's no faith in that song. And I would say, no, quite the opposite. That's where we go wrong with grieving. We set these false expectations. And God is saying, come to me. See, when I'm going to him and saying, God, you've shut the heavens off from me, who am I talking to? I'm there, I'm present. I'm going to the one person who can answer me. So I'd say, address your expectations of grieving. Step in. Put one foot in front of the next. Wrestle openly with God. Now, here comes the caution. It's so important to step in and wrestle. Ask why. Ask your hard questions. Tell God what you really think, what you're feeling. Go to him. Be honest with it. Yet understand you will likely never get an answer. You know why? Come to the other part of Isaiah 40. Look down at verse 25. I think this is the second thing to help you grieve well and embrace loss that ultimately leads, can help you with life to the full in those hard moments, is have a clear vision of who God is. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? And if you go back early, I don't have the time right now, but if you go back and read earlier parts of this chapter, he compares the nations and the princes and the rulers with all this powers, grasshoppers, and they're here today and going tomorrow. I'm in control, he says. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Who do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is guarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And then even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar in wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Or some of you will just walk and not pass out. So I think it's important to address your expectations of suffering and loss, but also address your vision of God. What I have learned, nothing in the world like sorrow, there is nothing in the world like sorrow to expose where I turn to find life. Your creator, God in heaven, knows that you will ultimately have life to the full when you're connected to him and with him and loving him. And what ends up happening in my life, and I don't know, I'm going to take a seven or you guys may struggle with this. What ends up in my life is I soon fill my life up with things that I think are more important than I know consciously say that, but I'm finding satisfaction in life and all this stuff. And when one of them is stripped from me, it pushes me in to, to, to wrestle with where is life truly found? 
Sorrow has a a magical way, a hard way, there's a hard edge to sorrow that gives us the opportunity to do that work. And what I've learned is seldom do we move out of the shadows of grief apart from some form of hope in the God who is alive and working a good plan. Seldom do we do that. What I've come to learn through this season of of loss in my own life is God is not through with anything yet. God's not done. How do you know that if some present evil that was meant to destroy and harm you may not actually work out to be a blessing in disguise? You know, I lost my job right, I knew it was coming right at the, the elders of my church forced my resignation. We knew it was coming. Christmas was two weeks away. It was a hard season. Nine years I invested in that church and loved and worked my tail off to what God, I believe, had called us to do. Now we have this little thing running around our house named Nora. Do you know why Nora showed up in our life? Because I lost my job. My wife and my kids, some of my kids, my one child will tell you, I didn't want a dog. And it's usually when we ask him to take it out to to go to the bathroom. But my kids and my wife have been asking for a dog for years, and I've been the one lone holdout. I've been the grumpy dad who says, no, it's not practical, it's not responsible. Dave Ramsey would say, and I'd go on to think about how this thing, no dog. Well, that dog has stolen our heart. But when I hug that dog and rub that dog's belly, I look at it and say, there's a blessing. There's a blessing in the midst of some of this dark, broken stuff. Now, that's a silly little dog, and I honestly don't know where life is going to take me, but I'm going to continue to choose to believe that God is not done. What I've learned about despair, I'm a guy prone to despair. I go to despair quick and fast. What I've learned about despair, you know what despair does to God? Where does it put God? Despair puts God in the past. And I don't know about you, but I, live a, I love, serve a God who's alive today. Now, what I find most interesting is, so God, you capture this clear vision of who God is, and then look at verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews is in the back part of your Bible. I mean, you go way near the back if you're new to the Bible. You're going to see some books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, a Titus, a Philemon, you run into Hebrews. If you hit the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. Back up a little bit. Hebrews, we don't know who writes it. It's someone who was very acquainted with the, with the scriptures that we would have just looked at in Isaiah. They knew the Hebrew scriptures well. And what they were trying to do in Hebrews is demonstrate these Hebrew scriptures were pointing to this this God in the person of Jesus Christ who fulfills everything that people like Isaiah and others would have talked about. And what I love is Hebrews, let me show you one verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, and this is important, he was without sin, which truly renders him to demonstrate he is fully God. Do you realize the God that you serve has been tempted in every way that you are? There is nothing that you will experience or have experienced that God has not felt in some capacity. You know, I've learned about um, pain and suffering. We feel close with those who've experienced what we have. I remember coming into a public gathering with an individual who's in the business world, and um, I, very similar to the Together Initiative we have over in Eastern Lancaster County, very similar thing, and I'm sitting in that arena. The, the announcement has been public now. People know that I've lost my job. He's sitting there, he, and I and I'm, I'm kind of have all this shame on me. It's, it's, it's like I lost my job. And every, I feel like, you know, I, I know they weren't, but every time I'd walk in the room, I'd feel like they're all looking at me. And he walks over to me when the whole meeting's done, and he puts his name as Milt. Milt puts his arm around me and says, Adam, I've been there. I was a pastor. And he wanted to tell his story. And in that moment, I felt a kinship and a care with, from Milt that I, I can't put words to. But maybe you've experienced that. And what I find with our creator God in heaven, who becomes our father through the work of Jesus Christ, he can put his arm around you and say, I've been there. You know, one of the greatest hindrances to people coming to Jesus today, when you read guys like Sam Harris and the New Atheists and all their, the thinking that's out there, one of the number one objections to God is pain and suffering. They'll raise it quick and fast. If God is all loving, if God is all powerful, if God is good, if God is love, then why? And they'll, they'll list their string of stuff. And some Christians will get into a debate and argue, and here's what I've learned to say. I don't know. Tim may be smarter than me and be able to answer that question, but I don't know. I can't make sense of it either. I have some of the very same questions. If Sam Harris were sitting here today, I'd say, Sam, I don't know. But there's one thing that I'll tell you for certain that it's not. And I'll go to the grave on this one. It is not that God is indifferent. It is not that he doesn't care and doesn't love. You know how I know? Because he put himself on the hook of our human suffering. He saw it as a, a barrier and he came and he took that human suffering and he took that pain and he transformed it into something beautiful called life. C.S. Lewis says it this way. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Nardia. He says, hey, listen, God didn't, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. That's religion. What he came to do was to make dead people alive. He conquered sin and death. He conquered the grave. He conquered everything hell through Adam. Why? Because he loves and he cares. So I can't make sense of all the human suffering in the world, but I know, and I'm going to keep my vision fixed on a God who is for me, who loves me, who is my Father. Because of my faith in the person of Jesus Christ. As I close, I'd invite you this morning. Maybe you're in a season right now. I know this church has a has a, had a season of loss from a respected ministry leader to the wife of one of your pastors. 
But where are you sitting? What loss do you have? I invite you this morning graciously to step into that. Adjust, adjust your expectations. Life doesn't always have to be on the wings of an eagle and on a mountaintop. Sometimes it's just taking another step and holding on for dear life and saying, God, I'm going to put my hope in you. I'd invite you to mourn that loss, to name it, to wrestle with it, to be honest with it, to tell God how you really feel. God, now I feel that you have abandoned me. God, I feel alone. I feel rejected. I feel dirty and wrong and bad. Whatever it is that comes into you, God, I am let down. Where were you? God, I miss him. I miss her. I miss it. I, I miss. I grieve, God. Be honest with it. And the other thing I'd say is in season, rejoice that you ever had it. I did this this week as I was working this message. It's really funny. I have, we have this three-story house and this little attic, these little jut-outs that have never really occupied anything. They're this awkward little space in our room. They have these little doors that are like literally this wide. And if you look at me, I don't fit through these doors. And they're like this big and they're like this high, like a little hobbit door. And I'm like, uh, and, I, and when I, so I came home after I, got, after I lose my job, I come home with this huge library. I'm like, I need an office. Where am I going to go? So I've got boxes and boxes of books. So the one day I'm up in my son's bedroom, who these little jut-outs are off of his room, and I'm looking, I'm like, there's nothing in there. There we go. So I have this office, literally, um, that just rows of books all stacked up, and there's this, I stole one of my daughter's little craft tables and drug it up there that's like literally this high, and this little chair, so I literally sit down like this to do my work, and I'm in this little space, and I'm sitting in there working in this message, and I'm looking at all my books, and I begin to think, I've lost so much. I was angry. I was wrestling afresh and anew. It's the first message I've put together since I've, I'm like, this just pushed me into some space that I haven't been in in a while, and I'm wrestling, and I'm looking at these books, and I'm, I'm frustrated. I came back in later in the week, and I said, you know what, God? Early in the week, I was praying, why do I have all this stuff? I was angry at him. I came back in and said, God, thank you. These books are in a box right now, but I have them. What I've learned with grief, it's so important to name what you've lost. It's also important to celebrate what you had. Even if what you had was nothing more than a dream, like, I wanted to be married. Maybe that was your dream, and I'm not married. It's, you feel the loss. So name the dream that God's given you and, and celebrate it. I find what we do instead is we hold on that we, ever, that we, that we lost it. I was so angry. I'm looking at these books, and I'm so angry. It's kind of a story. Um, my, I cut jigsaw puzzles on, on wood, and I learned it from my grandfather. He passed away when I was 18 years old, and he had all these saws. And he lived in our basement. He, I grew up with him, and he had all these jigsaws. And he had ones with his, these. Today, if you know the scroll saws at all, you can only get them with maybe a 21-inch deep throat. He had one that was 46 inches deep, so you could really get some. And I love these saws. And, but when he passed away, he left all these saws to my seven uncles, his sons. The one uncle came to me and said, Adam, I'll leave my saw for you because I know you use it. I don't really have space for it. And, I, and there'll come a day when I'll need it, but for right now, I'll go ahead and use it. Well, the day came. He calls me up and says, Adam, I'm coming over this weekend to get the saw. As I watch him drive away, 
What emotion was I feeling? What would you feel? I was surprised. I was angry. I was ticked off. There goes my Saul. Well, whose Saul was it? It was his, rightfully. I had a good run with it. I started a small business with it, and now it's gone. You know, I find that's what we do with life. We grab it, and we own it, as though we're the center of the story. But we're not the center of the story. I think life goes far better for us if we can name it, we can wrestle with it, we can set our expectations, see a, a God of love and grace and mercy, and celebrate that we ever had it. And then we sit back, and what I've learned to say, I love movies. And you know what makes for a great movie? If you grab right now your favorite movie, tell the person next to you your favorite movie. Go ahead. We're almost done. Some of you need to wake up. We're going to end here soon. Do you know what makes that movie your favorite movie? So let me say, yes, that actor is to die for. Hugh Jackman, he is the stuff, right? But what makes that movie a great movie is tension, plot twist. I don't think one of you named a movie that doesn't have it. We don't watch movies like that. That's a lame story. But when it's got tension and brokenness and plot twist, that's when it draws us in. And I'm here to say to you, some of you this morning, you're in the middle of a plot twist, and it's awful. It's awful. But hold on. You may not be soaring in wings of eagles, adjust your expectation, just get one foot in front of the next. Wrestle with God in an honest way. And as you wrestle, you'll get to that point where you can say, God, thank you for what you've given me. Gratitude does not alleviate the pain, yet somehow it puts light around the darkness. And then grab hold of life as a gift. Life is essentially a series of events to be lived. Not intellectual riddles to be played with and solved. And here's what I want to close with. Is, will you stand with me? I want to ask you to do something. I, have, is I, I hope this goes. I said something to Tim this morning, so if this doesn't work, blame it on him. <laughs> I said to Tim, I, I, I was putting this together, I was wrestling last night as I was going through this again, and as I came to the end and looked at the end, I thought, well, how, how want to end this thing? Well, you know, I can listen to everything I said, and ultimately, to live in grief well takes phenomenal courage. For those of you that do it, you know that. To get up and face the day when you feel death in your bones. To put a smile on your face and walk through the doors of your workplace or greet your kids in the morning takes phenomenal courage. And you know, I talked about having a clear vision of God, but here's the thing I have learned in this particular season of grief. I will never have a full picture of God without you in my life. We were designed as a family to be together as Christ followers. God lives in you. If you are a Jesus follower, Jesus lives in you. He's there. He's taken up residence. And I've learned how important it is to embrace that one another and be with. That's why the scriptures say, bear the burdens 
of those who are hurting. So what I want to do is it takes courage, it takes one another. So I'm going to ask you to do this. As I close in prayer, would you grab the hands of the people around you? Just grab hold. We're going to be, some of you are going, oh, no. Some of you are going, yes, I've wanted to hold her hand my whole life. <laughs> I finally got it. There it is. But I'm going to close. I'm going to pray. I want to pray that you feel the connection, feel the, the one, feel the... But I want to specifically pray just a covering over those of you who are in hardship and that you step into that place and find a God who is there with you. Father, we love you. I love you. Thank you so much for Jesus, that he came to this earth to represent you to us, to show us who you are. God, you're our Father. You're our Father. God, you love us deeply. God, I pray right now for this church I pray for Tim. I know he has, he has shepherded and guided and led well and through some tough seasons. I pray for Greg, my brother here, who's lost his wife, his daughters. God, I look at this world and there is evil all around us. There is a very real enemy of our soul and he is here to steal, kill, and destroy and God, you've left us in this world. You said very clearly, God, I'm not going to take them out of this world, but I'm going to leave them here. God, protect them. God, I pray a hedge of protection. God, I pray for those right now that are in deep waters, that are grieving, that are aching, that have experienced loss and trauma and, and heartache and hurt. God, would they just have the faith to take another step? And God, as they take that step, would they have a clear vision of who you are? Would they not be afraid of you? Would they not cower back? Would they, would they come as the psalmist did and, and level their accusations? Because God, you have a lot to give an account for. God, would they step in with that faith and say, God, I feel you've abandoned me. And God, would you lead them to a place where, even when I did this short week, was able to look at my books and say, thank you that I even have them. Thank you that I have them. God, right now, breathe life into those that are hurting in this room. Would they sense your presence in those that are around them and the hands that they're holding? God, we love you. Bless this church. Bless Tim and his leadership. Would they continue to be a light here in this community? In Jesus' name, amen.